welcome back to Weekly Winners. It's version 2, 2.0, whatever you want to call it. I'm back, got a new look, and what a time to come back. Today, it's Wednesday, March 16th, the day before the kickoff of March Madness. We're technically in the kickoff, the first four two day games a day, Tuesday and Wednesday, but I don't really count that. It's the field of 64, tomorrow 16 games, Friday 16 games. Everyone's getting their brackets already, you get your bracket pulls, you get your bets. It's quite simply the best two days of sports of the year. Whether it's whether you're just a fan of the sport, whether you're going to bet on the sport, it's everything, it's lightning in the bottle, it's pure electricity for like 14 hours of basketball. 28 hours over two days it'll wear you out but it but you love it all the same March Madness it lives up to its name in every sense of the word and we're here to, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna break it down I'm not gonna give you my full bracket that's a lot plus who cares you care about your bracket hearing about other people's brackets you're like you're just waiting them to get to the part where you can disagree but actually I have this person going to the Sweet 16 um so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five teams, five underdogs, five double-digit seeds that I think can make a splash. Not You can't guarantee they will. I, I think they have the best chance to make a splash because that's, that's the fun of this. Like, if you're out here and you filled out your brackets already and you're like, well, let's see, I have a... Uh, Gonzaga over Duke to get to the Final Four. I have Kentucky beating Baylor to get to the Final Four. Um, well, I'm a little wild. I got Kansas uh, beating Wisconsin. Uh, and I actually even have in the South, uh, I have Tennessee getting there, a three seed. Can you believe it? That's boring. Like all ones and twos. You know it's not going to happen. So if you're going to be wrong, and we're all going to be wrong, have some fun with it. Take some swings. Put some weird teams in your Elite Eight, in your Sweet Sixteens, because they're going to be there. And maybe you're the one who can correct, correctly predict that weird, that odd, that Cinderella team that's going to make the exciting run. Take some swings. Don't put Gonzaga as your champion. I mean, you could. You could say, yeah, I think Gonzaga's going to win it. And it's the smart move. They're plus 275 only. There's 64 teams left. And you're getting plus 275 for against Gonzaga to win. They're such overwhelming favorites. It's almost idiotic to even take that bet because they got to make it through so many rounds to even get to the championship. Um, let's do some weird ones. So first off, this is the one. This is my team. I think they make all the noise in the tournament. Virginia Tech. Now they started the, they started the year. 10 and 10, all I'm asking you, forget about those first 20 games. It was a different team that had not found themselves yet. Virginia Tech, we're going to look at them right now since being 10 and 10. Since then, they have two losses. One to UNC, fair. UNC, great team, historical program. They also have a loss to Clemson, which, say what you will about it. But they've won every single other one of their games including winning their conference tournament in which they beat Clemson, 
immediately their first game after losing to Clemson, they came back and they beat Clemson. So that shows some growth. Notre Dame, bubble team, first four team, beat them. UNC, the other team they lost to, beat them in the conference champion. Then Duke for the championship. House Duke, a two seed. They destroyed Duke. This team is hot, hot, hot. Virginia Tech is on fire. And I'm not just asking you to look at that. Since being 10-10, and 10, in that stretch of games we're talking about, as a team, not an individual player, as a team, they've shot 39% from three. While also holding their opponents to 33% from three. That's a large difference. And sometimes you can get inflated three-point numbers if they just take very smart shots. If it's they don't take that many, maybe the other teams in their conference take a lot more. That is not the case. Virginia Tech takes 24 threes per game and shoots 39%. Their opponents take 19 threes per game and shoot 33%. That's a discrepancy. So while shooting just five more threes, on average, they make 10 threes, whereas they hold their opponents to seven threes. That's a nine-point difference, which is obviously huge in basketball. If you can get a nine-point uh, difference in any facet of the game, you'd take it. And the fact that they only need to increase the amount of threes they're taking by just a little bit over um, their opponents, these three-point these three shooting numbers really think, really show to me that this is a different Virginia Tech team that, than that what started 10 and 10, and they're just so hot. They're just wiping through teams since that time. They've really found themselves. they really come together as a team. And you'll find this as a consistent theme across um, these five teams that I'm going to lay out for you. It's three-point shooting. Because what do you need if, you, um, if you're going to be a lower seed to make some noise? In my mind, there's like a couple things. you got to be red hot which uh, Tech is, you can be, you got to be a three-point shooting team. To beat teams that are quote-unquote better than you, you're just going to have to outshoot them. You're going to have to get a little lucky. You're going to have to shoot way better than they are. Um, and that the three-point shooting, ideally, it comes as a team. Like, Virginia Tech, 39% as a team, just can knock the, can just shoot the lights out Everybody on the court. That's ideally. Next, you can have like a trio, a trio or duo of players that can really, really shoot the ball at a high percentage from uh, outside the arc. You see some of those teams that are they're electric to watch. They're just it's usually a couple of guards. They're just taking turns coming up the court and hitting threes that they have no business hitting. They're not necessarily good shots. We've seen it time and time again in the tournament. The last one, which is a little scary, but arguably the most exciting, is just like the one guy. The one guy, your Kemba Walkers, who just catch fire and just carry your team throughout the tournament. Those are kind of your archetypes, and all of them kind of have something to do with being a three-point shooter. It's like Kemba wasn't really a three-point shooter, but it's a different time in college basketball. Like Usually, if you can find the one guy who can carry a subpar team, a few to the next weekend or a few rounds past where they should be, it's going to be on the back of his three-point shooting potential. So Virginia Tech has their red hot and they have the three-point shooting as a team. That's that's the A1. I could see them taking a deep, deep run. Plus, if you don't if you don't want to, like, they're just, they play Purdue round one. 
or no, they sorry, they play Texas round one. It's basically a pick 'em. They're like they're like minus one hundred five. Texas is like minus one fifteen or something. It's basically a pick 'em. Yes, they're eleven seed, but they're not treating Virginia Tech as an eleven seed. The odds makers know that this is a team to watch. Um, second, second team I'm going to go with. Um, now stop, stop. You've heard this before. Last year, this is kind. Of, this is my philosophy when it comes to the March Madness. I love picking a very low seed. And just hopefully picking the right one, batting on them, picking them in my turn in my bracket, and just riding them. It's the most electric thing you can do with the massive upsets. Last year, I picked a team, 15 seed, Oral Roberts, take on the two seed Ohio State. I believe they won two games in the tournament as a 15 seed. I picked them to go three games. So a little disappointing on my end, but this is what I love to do. So I, I came in this year. I'm like, who's the Oral Roberts of this year? And my I got a couple of them. There's a few teams that have potential this year. But this was the one that initially jumped out to me. And it is the Longwood Lancers, the 14 seed in the South. They go up against Tennessee in the first round. And a lot of the reason that um, I've picked, I'm picking Longwood in this first round matchup is as much to do with Longwood as it is to do with Tennessee. Tennessee doesn't make shots. They've just they're ice cold from the field. They're shooting like under forty percent over the, from two point range over their last few games. Tennessee is ice cold. Their defense is good, but like good defenses, there's no defense for just teams that rain threes uh, at like unpre- unprecedented rates. And that's what we have to hope that Longwood can bring to the table here. Um, Longwood has a um, three, two guys really. Technically three guys, but one of them only shoots, doesn't even shoot one three a game. They have two guys, four and a half attempts and five attempts a game above forty percent. One of them is at forty five percent three point shooting. That's the duo that I was talking about. It's a duo, a guard and a forward, but positionless basketball. Two ball handlers who are going to come up the floor and shoot threes at an absolutely ridiculous rate. Their, their team percentage on their threes is a little lower than I really wanted it to be. It's 38%, still very good. But out of these teams who like three-point shooting as their identity, and you see that kind of top-heavy um, percentages on their team, you'd hope it to be a little bit higher. But they have a few guys down their roster that have one or two attempts a game that really aren't shooting that well from three. And when you get into the tournament, you're – Rosters turn top heavy. You're playing five or six guys for the whole game. So I'm thinking these guys may, their top guys, their top two, uh, may be shooting even more than they do in the regular season. I should give them a shout. It's Deshaun Wade, Isaiah Wilkins, the two guys to watch out for the Longwood Lancers. It's a long shot for Longwood, but I'm telling you, maybe not quite as bad as you may think. This is this is the first round bet. To bet on an underdog, plus ten fifty to beat Tennessee alone. All they do is they have two very very competent three point shooters. Tennessee is super cold. If they just catch fire for half of this game, I'm telling you this this one can go down to the wire, and Longwood's going to have a shot to win it. Moving on, now I saw Longwood first. I'm like. 
That's the Oral Roberts team. But in reality, this is the squad that I am I'm giddy about. This team could absolutely make some noise in the tournament. And the odds makers know it. Like with Longwood, you're getting like crazy long odds. The team is South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits. They're only they play uh LSU or no, sorry. They play Providence, the four seed in the first round. They're only plus one ten. This is basically a pickup. They're barely an underdog in this game. People know these guys shoot the lights out. Those long those Longwood three point numbers were very nice to look at. But let's take a look at these South Dakota State numbers. They have a kid by the name of Charles Easley. Charlie Easley. Shoots 2.8 uh, attempts per game at over 50%. Another man, Alex Arenas. 2.1 attempts a game. Exactly 50%. 2.4 attempts a game. 4.47%. 5 attempts a game. 47% at 5 attempts a game. For Baylor Shearman, 3.7 times a game, 42%. These kids shoot the absolute lights off. They shoot 45% as a team from three-point range. It's absolute. It's, it's really not a team that we've seen. There's no comp for them in past tournaments. This is, it's unprecedented. And I'm begging these guys to be Providence of the first round because they, they have Cinderella story written all over them. If they can make a little bit of a run here, they can go on an absolute tear. It'll be must-watch television. I am so hyped about the South Dakota State. Let's go Jackrabbits. Um, I really think these guys could make some noise in what I think is kind of a weak Midwest as far as the other um, portions of the bracket go. If you want to get really crazy with me, I'll be betting it plus 8,000 South Dakota State to make the Final Four. Look, it's plus 8,000. Long shot odds, of course. But wouldn't it be fun to root for? Sprinkle a little bit on there, trust me. And, you know, I'll only take a modest 15% uh, rank when you come back and thank me for that, for that bet. Now let's move on to another team who has kind of the um, the duo mentalis. Uh, Virginia Tech, South Dakota State, kind of the, the team three-point shooting is phenomenal. Um, another team with a duo that is very dangerous is Vermont. Vermont plays Arkansas in the first round. Arkansas is a very good team. Um, I don't have as much negative to say about them as I did about Tennessee. I just think Vermont has the shooters at a 43 and a 41%, two 41% guys, really. So it's really more of a trio. Um, they have the shooters where it could happen. This is the one I'm probably least confident about, but I really think um, this and the other thing, this team's not just a three-point shooting team as kind of the other ones. It's like their whole identity. They're a good three-point shooting team that also manages um, to shoot almost 60% from the field as a whole. You can say that's because of their conference. They don't play anybody. But the odds makers know Vermont has a shot in Arkansas as well. They're only plus 180. I'd urge you to bet that, that they shoot better than Arkansas. This is a complete team that also shoots the ball very well. 
They take very smart shots. They have good percentages up and down their roster. They're, they aren't just forcing threes. They shoot threes very well because they're a complete team that can find the open shots. I really think Vermont, for a, uh, um, a 13 seed, is way better than you would, you would ever think on paper. And finally, perhaps the most exciting of the teams we'll talk about here today. Going back to the South, it's the 12 seed, it's UAB. And there's really only one thing to talk about here. It's Jordan Jelly Walker scoring 20 points a game for this UAB team. The kid shoots over 40% from three, which we've talked about a lot of kids that shoot over 40% from three. He does it on eight and a half attempts a game. He shoots so much, and he just continues to make it. Yeah, his because he shoots so many threes, the the overall field goal percentage struggles a little bit. But it's it's one of the formulas you can have. It's the one guy, he catches fire. They can't guard him because he's pulling up yards behind the line. He's hitting logo shots. You, there's no defense for that if a guy just hits, just catches fire like that. And I think Jordan Jelly Walker is the best candidate to be kind of the one-man team who can uh, who who can really be the Cinderella story and be the I don't know, the John Morant the you know the one guy who really makes the name for himself in this tournament. Um, they do have. Uh, tough matchup against Houston and then potentially Illinois if they can get past Houston. Um, but, man, it would be exciting. I, I really think, at the very least, make sure Houston versus UAB is on your television screen uh, this weekend. He's If you have not seen a UAB game, UAB game this year, you got to th- make this your first one. Jelly Walker is an absolute delight to watch play basketball, and I really think that he could lead this UAB team to make some noise in the South Conference or the South region of the bracket. So those are my big my my big five double digit seeds uh, for the tournament starting tomorrow. So if you haven't submitted your bracket yet, all I ask is think it over one more time. Think about these teams that because you know one of them. One of these teams, one of these five teams I just say, said, will make the second weekend. They're double-digit seeds. It happens every year. There's going to be a few of them scattered in there. One of these is going to be in the second weekend. Don't don't be lame. Don't just put the higher seed advancing. You know what's not going to happen. Take a shot. Try to be the one in your bracket pool that's that predicts the correct low seed that advances further than they should. So let's move on briefly. Those of you who listen to the original version of the podcast, you know I'm not the biggest MLB fan. I like watching baseball in person. I think the television product is streets behind the uh, the other major sports in the United States and North America, really. Um, but the lockout, they finally got it over really just in time. They, they moved opening day back a little bit. It's now April 7th. Uh, I believe it was going to be March 31st. Um, they are going to get all 182 in, which I think is probably the major thing. Because for them to have another year in the last, another year, that is like 
basically throw it out of the record books because you're playing less games and how do you possibly it's different rules how do you compare it get it's going to be i believe the schedule is going to condense a little bit the season's going to extend it into october a little bit uh big for them to get all 182 in but they i think they narrowly narrowly um avoided disaster M- MLB is baseball is the dying breed. Like it's, it's just not as exciting. They're struggling to get young kids into it. And if they would have had an extended, extended lockout where we were missing games, and this went well into when baseball season should have been starting, and we were still locked out, don't get too comfortable letting your fans exist in a world where baseball isn't happening and. There's March Madness going on, and all there's all the craziness of NFL free agency, which we have some, we have some talk about coming up. Emma, uh, NBA's just starting to get good. Playoffs are on the horizon. If you give a year where all of these things are going on and baseball isn't, your fans might just get used to it. And next year, when you're back, they'll be like. You know what? I was kind of fine without baseball last year. I had all these much more exciting sports things going on. Eh, maybe I'll maybe I'll tune into less games. You have the, the fans you do have currently are so precious because you're not really gaining anymore. So I'm glad they got uh they got it figured out. They're gonna play one all eighty two. I love going down to Milwaukee, seeing a Brewer game in person it's the best in person sport that's what they got going for for them if i could if i care truly just about the game and the atmosphere and how i like to watch sports do i want to watch baseball on tv almost never unless it's like the playoffs uh, and my team is in the playoffs do i like to watch baseball in person it's the most fun like if you could choose an NFL game in person or MLB game in person. And you have to watch the other one on TV. I'll go to the MLB game and watch the NFL game on, on TV every time. Because NFL is made for TV. You can get, get all the instant replay. You can see everything from the angles they have. It's perfect for the TV experience. Don't get me wrong. It's cool to go to an NFL game. But MLB in person, just baseball in general in person, it it's the one thing that baseball has going for it. So getting at least one all 182 is, like I said, closely, closely avoiding disaster. I'm sure you've heard every take on the lockout, so I won't, I won't babble on and on about that. Let's move into some NFL talk. It's free agency. People used to rant and rave all about the NBA free agency, and don't get me wrong, I love NBA free agency. The one day, once the legal tampering window was open, it's electric because the deals roll in so fast. The week or two of NFL trades and signings and news we've had has been almost unmatched. NFL is king. It, it rules the sports news cycle even when it's not being played. It's absolutely crazy. Um, so, And, of course, we want to talk about the quarterbacks. That's the big one. So... I thought the best way for me to do that, give kind of a fresh spin on it, is a tier list. Let's take these teams that have new quarterbacks and put them in these tier lists, in this tier list, to kind of give my opinion on what this means for your team going forward, um, whether this is a good move, not a good move. So 
the the tiers that I have here. I have contender. Adding this guy to your team, either you were a contender contender and you still are with this team. You weren't a contender and adding this guy made you a contender. Something around that line. You're going to contend for a championship while this guy is on your team. Fills a need. It's a guy. He you upgraded your your uh, quarterback situation. He you needed a competent quarterback of which there are not 32 of in this league to quarterback your team. You didn't have one before and you found one now. Or you have some a, maybe sort of a lateral move depending on the team. It fills the a need that you had. Rookie QB it doesn't mean you're going to have a rookie QB. This is on par to drafting a QB in this 2022 draft class. Like, would you rather spend your first round pick on one of these guys, or would you rather sign this guy and have him play for your team this year? That's that tier. Not improvement is you made a move at quarterback, and your team did not get better. Worse off is you made a move at quarterback, and your team is worse because of it. And we're going to be putting the QBs in this tier list, uh, really just the ones that have been moving. I think most obviously, have they been to a Super Bowl recently? No. A couple NFC championships. The NFC is getting a bit weaker. The AFC is pretty much stacked. Um, Rodgers coming back to the Packers keeps them being a contender. And pretty much any team that he could have realistically gone to was going to be contender if they added them. If Pittsburgh, if Denver would have added Rodgers, they would be a contender for as long as they were able to sign him for. I feel this also about Russell Wilson. Now, not quite on the level of Rodgers. If he would have gone somewhere um, that is not Denver, I was, the Seahawks were not a contender last year. But Denver specifically... Adding either of the two guys in this contender tier makes themselves a contender. So the adding Russell Wilson to the Broncos absolutely makes them a contender for this year. And for, I, I don't know exactly how many years he has left on his deal. I think it's a couple, though. That team's scary. That defense, we saw what it could do with mediocre quarterback play last year. We knew they were a QB away. They were after Rodgers last year. They got their guy this year. Fills a need. This is where Kirk Cousin goes for me. If they didn't make the playoffs last year, the Vikings have a lot of talent, and Kirk Cousin comes out under a lot of scrutiny for not getting that talent to the playoffs. All fair criticisms. If the Vikings would have moved on from Kirk Cousins last year, and let's say they get another one of these free agent or on-the-move quarterbacks... That team's abysmal. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback in a league where there are not many of them. Keeping him, while it costs a lot of money, $35 million for one year, keeping Kirk Cousins in Minnesota is allows them to keep their team identity, hopefully stay healthy, get another year of cohesion between these young weapons and Kirk Cousins. I think it's probably the best move that Minnesota could have made. I think 
anything outside of like making a massive trade that no one really saw the Vikings doing, I think it was probably their best option at quarterback. Same level as a rookie QB. Um, I think this is where Mitch Trubisky goes. I'm a Steeler fan. Perhaps I'm biased. I love this signing. And in fact, I'll put Marcus Mariota right next to him because these are the two guys that I wanted for, for Pittsburgh from the start because they're not that expensive, especially for a quarterback. Both of them have shown immense talent in the past, perhaps hampered by the team they're on. Still lots of potential high pedigree, high draft pick guys. Adding to them, them to your team for a quarterback on the cheap either lets you have what, with good coaching, is possibly a comp- competent quarterback for this year and next year for very cheap, which is something that you can rarely, rarely get in the NFL is cheap, good quarterback play. Usually that's reserved for the first couple years of a rookie deal. What else it does, because you're not paying them a lot, is if you're in the draft, say you're at 20 like the Steelers, and whoever your guy is in the draft, whatever quarterback you like, it seems to kind of be a horse of peace this year. If your guy seems to fall to you and you're sitting at 20, you can still draft him if you feel that is the right move. If you trade for Aaron Rodgers and you're paying him all this money, you, tra- you trade for... Uh, Russell Wilson, you trade for Deshaun Watson, and you're paying him a ton of money, and you get to 20, and the guy that you were scouting and you were really seriously considering adding to your football team in the draft falls to you, no way you could pick him. You can't do that to the guy you just put all, committed all this money and all these years to, and you can't do it financially. You can't afford to give that guy a chance on the field, and you can't afford to pay him while he sits on the bench. You're kind of handcuffing yourself. Maybe it'd be a little bit of a blow to Mitch Trubisky or Marcus Mariota's ego if you bring them in to be the starter on your team and then you draft a QB. But it creates competition in the QB room. You're not limiting your options at that point, which is why I love that for the Steelers and for whoever ends up getting Mariota. I think it's a really good move depending on your situation. Now, speaking of Deshaun Watson, I'm actually going to put him next to Kirk Cousins and fills a need. He doesn't go in the contender tier just because most of the teams that he's rumored to be joining, Falcons, Panthers, even the uh, Browns, Browns might be a little different. I don't necessarily say those teams see those teams as contenders if just by adding Deshaun Watson. He's very good, but we've seen him on bad teams, and they're not exactly Super Bowl contenders. Um, the other... The other thing that keeps him from the contender um, tier is there are still the question marks. Even if he does get traded, and he's locked up for like five years before ever gets them, they'll have their quarterback for a very long time, which is, makes it so tempting for these teams to get trade for him. Um, we don't really know if he will be getting a suspension, and if he does, how long it will be. So it's possible that, say you're the Falcons, and you have to do some real creative accounting to get uh, Matt Ryan and Sean Watson and all your payroll figured out. And then he's suspended for even like, let's say eight games, half the season, or almost half the season. 
you're in quite the pickle where you're paying this guy a ton of money to not be playing next year, where you're probably not going to be a playoff team next year. And all of a sudden you're kind of flushing one of those years down the toilet um, when you're when you have a prime quarterback talent that you're paying for. So that I can't call you a contender if that's going to be the situation that your team is in after adding this guy. I'll say Carson Wentz is not an improvement on um, for the Washington commander situation. Now, I may be a little higher on Taylor Heineke than your average football fan, but I thought he was just fine last year. Outside of Terry McLaurin, uh, the commanders really don't have much going on in their offense. Um, they had injuries on their defense, which makes it even harder. We thought they were going to have a an elite defense last year, which they didn't have. Hopefully they can get back to that next year. But we know how hard it can be. You, We know how much easier it is to be an elite quarterback when there's an elite defense on the other side of the ball. When you have to do less, it becomes a lot easier to reach that mark of what you have to do. And I don't think Heineke was really in that situation last year. And unless that situation changes, I don't see Carson Wentz being a vast improvement on that situation. If the commanders are a lot better next year, I would I would be willing to bet it's because of their a change they made defensively to get that defense back on track rather than switching out from Taylor Heineke to uh, Carson Wentz. Although I believe they are keeping Heineke around, which is a smart move with an injury-prone guy like Wentz. But I mean, we, it might be week seven and Heineke might be right back out there. But I just don't see it as improvement. I You gave up a couple second-round picks, and for what, I still view them as a very similar team as they were before they got once. Um, and now another guy who hasn't actually uh, joined a team yet, and it's Jimmy G. Now I'm going to put him, some people are a little higher on him. I'm going to put him in the rookie QB tier along with Trubisky and Mariota. Obviously, he just, like we were just talking about, he just brought a team to the NFC Championship. But they had a not only a great defense on the other side that really showed up in the playoffs, but an offensive attack at the hand of Kyle Shanahan that didn't really require an elite quarterback. I mean, he threw it like six times when they beat the Packers. Um, he... He was asked to do very little, and he did live up to it. And he, he's been in the playoffs a lot with teams that maybe shouldn't have been there, but there's a reason when the topic brought up, and I don't know if it was ever real, but could Rodgers go to San Francisco? Everyone's ears perked up a little bit. They're like, Rodgers to San Francisco? That team would be terrifying. You give Rodgers Kittle, which is easily the best tight end target he's had in a while, he has a lot of weapons on that offense. You got Ayuk, uh, and that defense. People definitely say that's an upgrade over the Packers' defense last year. People are like, wow, that team would be really scary in the NFC. Um, there, there's a reason these people had these thoughts because, like, Jimmy G isn't that sexy of a pick. Like, he does enough. So, if you're a team. Say the Colts now, after getting once, giving away once, who needs to kind of fill that quarterback spot. I think if you're a fan of the Colts, you feel similarly if they draft a guy in the draft or if they add 
Jimmy G. I'm saying for like this year. Because obviously if you if you get a guy in the draft, you project forward and you hope he's very good down the line. But for this year, you're like, yeah, we could draft a rookie, see what he got, see what he has. Hopefully he's NFL ready and he can, uh, you know, he, he can make a splash. Or you get Jimmy G and you're like, yeah, we have a solid core. Maybe we can spend a little bit of this cap room we have and put some more pieces on the Colts around Jimmy G and we can more or less replicate what the 49ers did last year. But I think for this year, that gives you similar levels of excitement if you're a fan of that team. The one strike that I think keeps them at the rookie QB level instead of the fills the need, because this year you probably would want Jimmy G over a Trubisky or a Mariota slightly if you're just looking at talent level. But he does make a bit more money than these guys where I don't know if you can be in a position where you um, have Jimmy Grapple on your team and you also draft a QB. I don't know if you can do that where I think that is still a possibility if you have Trubisky or Mariota. So there's a couple other guys that could be on the move, but I don't really feel the need to put them on this list here. I really think this is the list I'm comfortable with. As bad as the Carson Wentz trade got kind of slandered online, I can't say the commanders are worse off. I mean, I like Henneke, but Henneke has never been at a level in the NFL where he was a front runner for for an MVP. It was a few years ago, but Carson Wentz was that guy once, which will always get people a little bit excited that maybe he can recapture that. Personally, I don't believe it, but he was fine in some games with the Colts last year. I, I cannot say that the Commanders are worse off because they have Carson Wentz, at least for this year, 2022 NFL season. So yeah, that is the tier list. I think that was a fun way to kind of break down my thoughts on the QB carousel we got going on here. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening to this first new episode of uh weekly winners um trust my picks on these uh on those march madness underdogs but really just enjoy the weekend it's one of the best weekends in all of sports thank you guys for listening and i will come back to you with another episode on monday kind of breaking down that weekend of march madness uh probably gloating a little bit when uh long woods in the second weekend and uh We look at the bracket going forward from there. Thanks for listening.